This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's a scary new threat to public health that is reminding us of the SARS outbreak in 2003. So far, six people have died from this virus, which emerged out of China very recently. It's been confirmed that the infection is spreadable and has spread among humans. And it has also spread beyond the city of Wuhan, China, where it originated. I'm going to give the numbers out again if you do have some questions about this. 416 6600740 toll free 18667404740 now i am joined by dr jerome lease the medical director of Inve- infection prevention and control at sunnybrook and dr susie hota the medical director of infection prevention and control and an infectious diseases specialist with the university health network doctors thank you so much for being with us Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. So first of all, this is a coronavirus. What is a coronavirus as opposed to another type of virus? I guess I can start with that. So coronaviruses are a family of respiratory viruses that um, can infect humans or animals. And there are a number of them out there. There are actually seven that can infect, infect humans. And that family does include some viruses such as SARS, which we are familiar with here in Canada, um, which can cause serious pneumonias. But other coronaviruses can cause symptoms that are actually very similar to the common cold. So runny nose, sore throat, cough, fever, that kind of thing. Okay, uh, Dr. Lease, so has it been uh, verified yet whether this is a very, very serious virus or one of the lighter ones? I mean, six people have died, and I believe the count now is something over 250 cases. Yeah, so uh, it's important to give some of those numbers some context. So, uh, you know, people can die of respiratory viral infections. And I know, uh, you know, some comparisons have been made to uh, to more severe infections like SARS that we saw back in 2003. Uh, I'll just say that right now we're still learning about this particular virus. Um, it's still early and we're following it closely. But based on the numbers, uh, the, uh, the number of deaths that we've seen is actually lower uh, compared to SARS. And it seems to be that uh, this virus may not cause as serious an infection, but of course the situation uh, is still evolving and we're monitoring it closely. Well, uh, we may just be earlier in the process because, uh, first of all, the good news, China seems to be more open about owning up to this than they were in the SARS outbreak, right? Uh, absolutely, I would say so. I mean, they've been working very closely with the WHO from the beginning. Um, and I think that's an important key difference between what we faced during SARS and what we're facing now. Uh, we're, we're getting the communications much more rapidly and more readily than uh, we did previously, um, you know, more than a decade ago. So that already puts us in a better position to prepare and understand the progress of what's going on. That said, early in any kind of new infectious disease that's emerging, there are a lot of uncertainties, like Dr. Lee had mentioned, and we do have to uh, be cautious about drawing conclusions while information still percolating in. Now, 
if memory serves me correctly, when it came to SARS, we didn't have it uh, confirmed that this is what it was until it was already here in North America. So we're kind of earlier in the process, are we not, Dr. Lees? Yeah, absolutely. This is, a, as Dr. Hoda mentioned, a very different context to 2003 when uh, SARS, a lot of um, some of our public health policies and protocols in terms of infection control have evolved significantly since SARS. A lot of those lessons learned have been applied. And our uh, hospitals in particular all have, you know, a robust screening methods and uh, protocols to help uh, identify patients quicker. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, China has actually been a lot more proactive, uh, transparent, and has been able to identify uh, uh, a lot about this virus and describe it uh, very quickly in the process. And so our level of preparedness is just so much greater than what it was back in 2003. Uh, in terms of our screening, it seems to be voluntary. Uh, Dr. Hoda, is that good enough? I mean, I've seen pictures. I'm not sure where they were from, you know, uh, temperature, taking temperature of of people coming into airports uh, and things like that. Yeah, so screening happens at various levels. So, um, you know, I think people think a lot about the airport screening and, and feel that that might be the best way to, to try and prevent this from getting into the country. Our experience from SARS and the H1N1 uh, influenza pandemic as well showed us that airport screening is actually not as effective as we'd like it to be. It picks up very few cases um, and it did not stop uh, these kinds of infections from being introduced into a different area. So, you know, there many reasons why that can happen. People may not be symptomatic until after they've arrived in a, in a country. Um, they may take Tylenol or other things that would suppress a fever. So that's not the real, real best way to try and contain this. Uh, however, you know, hospitals and healthcare facilities are one place where there is a risk of things spreading. Um, and we want to, we've got a lot of vulnerable people in the same area. So I think that's where screening uh, can be effective. And we, we do want to identify people who have been exposed to potentially to somebody else who is sick with this virus or a certain area and have symptoms that are compatible and make sure that we isolate them appropriately and manage those those people um, as we should. And so par- part of the problem apparently is that it presents with the same kind of symptoms as a flu or another kind of respiratory illness, right, Dr. Lees? Yeah, so that's, you, as you said, perhaps a challenge, but it's also protective in that uh, a lot of our usual practices that we have in place uh, at, in hospitals are to identify people uh, early on that have uh, fever or respiratory symptoms and to isolate them appropriately, use um, uh, the dedicated protected uh, uh, personal protective equipment uh, for those encounters. And so a lot of our usual practices will actually help uh, protect us uh, for uh, for these patients uh, because the, the presentation is uh, very aligned with our usual practices. And we actually have uh, testing available already in Canada so that when we if we identify cases, uh, we can uh, we can confirm them. We are talking about the new SARS-like virus. Let me give the numbers out in case anyone has questions or comments about it. 416-360-0740, toll-free 866-744-740. I am talking to Dr. Jerome Lees of Sunnybrook and Dr. Susie Hota of the University Health Network. And we have been told by several authorities that really uh, Canada is at low risk for transmission. Uh, would you agree with that? So I, I can start uh 
uh, and Dr. Hoda can add, uh, you know, I think um, I certainly would agree that the risk uh, is low. Um, I think, uh, as we're talking about earlier, comparisons are being made to, uh, you know, to, to SARS. Uh, but the reality is there's a lot of differences uh, between this particular infection, or at least what we've seen so far, and that particular uh, situation. I think to give, uh, we need to remember a little bit of context, which is that uh, in Canada, uh, our, our greatest risk at this time of year is actually influenza or the flu. That particular virus kills over 3,500. 500 Canadians per season. It's a predictable ep epidemic. We have uh, a vaccine that uh, can prevent infection and can uh, reduce the risk of complications. That is a far greater risk that we need to continue to um, uh, talk about and, um, and focus on to, to prevent uh, those outcomes for Canadians. Uh, this particular uh, novel virus, um, you know, obviously we're learning more about it. There's a, there's a possibility that we may see uh, patients uh, that, uh, that need to be tested in Canada and we may see confirmed cases, but the overall, at least early on, uh, it looks like this is a far lower risk, certainly compared to uh, influenza. Dr. Hoda, if somebody does get it, we don't have anything to treat it with, do we? At this point, no, we don't have any specific uh, treatment or therapeutic, and it appears as though supportive care, you know, rest, fluids, um, just supporting someone uh, with hospital-level care if required uh, is what we would do. So, um, you know, it's not that different in that sense from a lot of the other respiratory viruses that we see at this time of year, such as influenza, as Dr. Elise had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And um, I, again, uh, you know, what do you say to people who are worried about this? You know, I think there's certainly, I understandably, some anxiety, uh, you know, when we're hearing about cases spreading, uh, you know, across uh, the, the continent of Asia and the potential for people uh, to return to Canada with this illness. But we need to remember that, uh, as Dr. Hoda and I have mentioned, this is really not that different than a lot of other common respiratory uh, viral infections. Um, and we have uh, very good uh, surveillance in place uh, in Canada and certainly uh, in our hospitals where uh, the patients uh, are at, uh, or where Canadians would be at highest risk when they're actually uh, concentrated in a hospital setting. And so I think that uh, the, the overall risk is very, very low. Um, and um, I think the message should be that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll learn more and, and follow this, uh, but uh, we have uh, a lot of preparedness in place. And if I could add one other thing, I think it's important for people to understand that early on in something new that's emerging, it is very uh, normal and expected that we would have evolving information. So, you know, sometimes I think that gets people anxious, hearing things change overnight constantly. But that's all part of good communication and up-to-date information being released and shared well. And that's a good thing for us so we can understand more about it. Um, so rather than, you know, being anxious about it, I think it's a good signal that those of us who are trying to manage this are well informed and keeping on top of things. Chinese in, in, New in Year. In fact, one thing I'll add to that as well is that um, just by virtue of uh, improvements in surveillance, 
uh, we are detecting uh, more cases. And so just because we're seeing more cases, it may actually be related to just better detection and not necessarily more rapid spread. It's not clear that much has changed in terms of this virus, but we are, it's, it's expected that we're confirming more cases by better detection methods. Yeah. Chinese New Year begins this weekend. Millions and millions of people will be on the move in China in that whole area. How does that complicate things? Well, it's certainly, I mean, global travel does help to facilitate the movement of viruses and, and transmission of viruses within populations. We, we know that. I mean, I think it's important to just kind of keep people focused on the simple messages of how you can protect yourself and others from getting these kinds of infections. Most respiratory viruses are transmitted by large droplets of um, from your secretions if you cough or sneeze, um, then landing on surfaces or on the hands of people and infecting, uh, you know, you touch your face and then you infect yourself. So this simple things you can do to protect yourself are to clean your hands very frequently, try avoid touching your face, especially if you're out in common areas and may have touched other things. And if you're feeling sick, like you're coming down with something, stay home and try not to infect other people. Uh, And then, uh, you know, finally, if you have to cough or sneeze, make sure that you cover your cough or sneeze with your sleeve or a tissue or something like that. Uh, so those are kind of the, the simple pieces of advice that we can give people who would be traveling or who are concerned about how this might, might evolve. Uh, and do you think that we'll see a big uptick uh, after this, you know, this, the, the holiday? I, I wouldn't be personally be surprised uh, if we uh, certainly uh, uh, at least test more individuals that are returning from uh, from China, uh, uh, you know, especially over the next few weeks, given all of the travel that's going to be happening for the Lunar New Year. Um, and, you know, um, I think that would be expected, and it'll give us an opportunity to uh, to test out the surveillance. Uh, and, um, you know, whether or not we confirm cases, that's another question. But as has been emphasized in this discussion, you know, we're, we're really managing this very similar to uh, other types of common respiratory infections, and we have good uh, protocols in place for doing so. Okay, uh, let's take a call from Kathy in Etobicoke. Hi, Kathy. Hi there. Um, I have a friend that is, is just over here on vacation from the Philippines. She's leaving tomorrow to go back, but she's stopping. She has a stopover in, in China, but she's got a really bad cold right now. Yes. Is she safe to travel or no? Sorry, what Doctors, it? do you have a, so, a response to that? So I, I think the question is about whether or not it is safe to travel to go to back to the Philippines via China. And I guess what I would with answer... With a bad cold. And with a bad cold, yeah. So, I mean, obviously the, the bad cold that your friend has was likely acquired here in Canada is probably some of the viruses that are currently circulating. And, uh, you know, uh, it sounds like if uh, they are... Uh, feeling okay overall, they should be able to travel. But of course, the the advice that Dr. Hoda gave in terms of the importance of uh, you know uh, cleaning hands frequently and uh, and and avoiding uh, contact, uh, coughing in open spaces is absolutely very important to try to protect others uh, uh, around uh, you. Uh, as far as uh, traveling to those other those specific destinations, there are really no travel advisories that have been issued yet uh, for those particular locations. And again because the risk is very low. Okay. Okay. Kathy, right, thanks for your call. I hope that answered your question. It's uh, very difficult for people to change travel arrangements once they're in place. 
Let's take a call from Angela in Kitchener. Hi, Angela. Hi, it's Angela calling you from Kitchener. I'm a frequent traveler to Cuba. And when you enter the country of Cuba and you come off the airplane, you are required to go through a sensor. At the side of the sensor, there's a doctor and two nurses. If your temperature, your body temperature, is over the acceptable amount for the country of Cuba, you are pulled aside and made sure that you are healthy before you come into the country of Cuba. They have limited resources. Could we please have something like this year-round? Canada is a precious country. Our health is important. Thank you. Okay. Um, Is that a a reasonable suggestion? We did talk about that a a little bit earlier, Dr. Hoda. Yes, I I guess I can comment a little bit. So, um, you know, I can certainly understand people's concern and and wanting to have something a little bit more rigid in place to understand the health of people coming into the country. Um, However, using that kind of a a strategy to um, stop people who might have fevers coming into the country has really proven to be a disappointment in helping us detect these kinds of cases and stopping them from getting in. And one of the reasons why is not everyone will have a fever or, you know, will measure as having a fever when going through that, or they may not yet be showing symptoms, but may have been infected. So, you know, uh, given the amount of um, effort that goes into it and what few returns they are, it's something that we take very, you know, cautiously as as a maneuver. And some countries have gone ahead with it, but uh, we are not doing that in Canada at the moment. What we do have, though, is quarantine officers and and at the border control, um, there is the ability to, if somebody is found to be uh, ill and showing symptoms that they might be quite ill, uh, they can be taken aside and asked additional questions, and then a decision as to what what should be done is made at that point in time. So, so there is that that mechanism in place to help protect uh, people from spreading infections. Doctor Lee, do you think that I mean this this I think is is in force in three airports in the United States? Are they going in the wrong direction with this? No, I, I certainly agree with Doctor Hoda. I think it's tempting to think that uh, you know improvement in technology like this would be the answer to this type of problem, but it, unfortunately it's not that simple. And as Dr. Hoda mentioned, when you're just, ma- just uh, basing it on uh, you know, temperature alone, you- you'll still miss a number of cases of people that are in between uh, fevers, for example. Um, you know, we don't know the answer if we had uh, a very robust method. I think the Canadian Border Services Agency would be using it, um, but it's an issue of, you know, um, of trying to um, you know, hopefully not invest a large amount of resources for something that has not been proven to actually pick up cases. And as Dr. Hoda mentioned, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the data on that has been pretty disappointing. Um, and, and to the, the credit of the CBSA, they've, they've been pretty proactive this week in instituting uh, screening in, in airports. And so, uh, you know, for, and that's certainly worth something, even though, as was mentioned, uh, you know, there's still cases that can get through and we have other public health policies and hospital policies that help us to pick up additional uh, uh, persons that could be at risk. Uh, was that something that came out of, uh, you know, the lessons we learned from SARS? Certainly the, the airport screening um, is something that we noted in SARS as well as in the H1N1 pandemic is, um, you know, it does take quite a bit of resource to try to actively look for people who have fevers and, and, and other signs of infections. Um, and in the end, the returns were not great. And there is also some comments about how some of that resource could be instead invested in public health and other um, groups that can actually help a little bit more to contain the virus, uh, you know, in, in a community. 
So are, are, are we being overly concerned, uh, overly, you know, are we being hysterical about this because of our experience with SARS? You know, I certainly think that in uh, Toronto, that's very understandable. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think we need to, uh, you know, reduce the level uh, of anxiety. We need to remember that this isn't 2003. There have been a lot of advances uh, as we're learning about this virus. Uh, it really seems like uh, our usual practices should be, allow us to, uh, to, to pick up cases, and we have testing now available, and we have uh, a lot of practices in place to limit transmission, you know, in some of our healthcare institutions. And so, yeah, the, the message is, you know, uh, the, 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 the risk is very low. Uh, it's the, the sky is not falling, uh, and you know I, as I mentioned uh, before, you know uh, it, it's interesting that a lot of uh, attention is, is being paid to this, and you know certainly it's evolving and there are changes, and so it's it's appropriate. But let's not forget that uh, you know influenza kills uh, you know over 3,500 Canadians every season in a predictable fashion, and uh, you know in, in the general public, our vaccine rates uh, continue to hover around. Uh, 40%. And, you know, I think that's a failed opportunity given that we have something that can protect uh, Canadians from that infection, which is a, a far greater risk this time of year. Okay, I think that's a very good point. Uh, and Dr. Hoda, uh, what else would you like to leave us with? I think I'd want to leave um, the audience with the knowledge that we are watching things very carefully and we're exercising a lot of vigilance. We're really trying to keep on top of what's happening throughout the world and locally um, and, you know, just kind of instill some confidence that there is a system in place to try and deal with this. Um, and so absolutely coming back to the last point and how uh, Dr. Lee said well articulated, um, you know, that the sky is not falling. There's no reason to panic, but we should be watching and cautious and uh, keep people informed. And that's why, you know, sessions like this are really important to me and to make sure that people are aware that there is there there are people who are uh, are watching this carefully and taking care of it. Okay, thank you so much Dr. Jerome Lees, Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Sunnybrook and Dr. Susie Hoda, Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at the University Health Network. Appreciate your time. Thank, thank you. you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.